It's that time, guys. The Blue Bloods are here with some college football content for your Monday. We start the episode off by talking about the NCAA's decision to grant an extra year of eligibility for all players, regardless if they play this year. We then discuss the latest comments from Nick Saban about a potential spring football season. And then, of course, we're going to break down the 2020 SEC schedule, analyze who has the hardest path to the championship, and which teams may have the easiest. And, of course, we wrap it up with another recruiting update. We head to the Big 12, and we're going to analyze the Oklahoma Sooners 2021 class. We have a full show today, guys, so let's kick it off. Brandon, I can't believe I'm saying this. The NCAA may have finally done one thing right, which may come as a surprise to most of our listeners out there. The NCAA announced that all fall athletes will be able to retain their eligibility for the 2021 season, even if they decide to play this fall or spring. This would mean that a senior could play this year, but also play next fall for their team and try to improve their draft stock or just play an extra year with their teammates or the school they love. The players who decide to return will not count against the scholarship limits of that school next year, which allows schools to honor all scholarships for all players who decide to return. Brandon, what is your take on this? And did the NCAA finally make a correct choice? Look, I hate giving the NCAA props, like even if it's correct. And I do think this is the correct uh, move here, but I will not say that the NCAA did a good thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's awesome. You know, I think this is the right thing to do, you know, to put it in perspective. And this is the main reason why I think it's great is because, you know, imagine that that fourth year kid, kid who's using his fourth year of eligibility, whether he's a senior, whether he's a redshirt senior, whatever. You know, he, he maybe he plays for, let's say, like a small school in, in the SEC, like maybe he plays for Arkansas. And he hasn't had that, you know, he hasn't had that many great looks over his uh, previous three seasons that, he, that he's been able to play. This season, people are probably going to discount what he does because he can only play in conference. You know, they're not playing, uh, they're not playing uh, a schedule that's playing against other conferences. And so... You know, when, when I guess I guess Arkansas was a bad example because you still get to play. Who who are they? They're playing <laughs> Florida and Georgia, yeah, so, and Alabama and Auburn and LSU. <laughs> yeah, but but use your imaginations here. I mean, imagine a kid who who hasn't really had a lot of time on the field yet. You know, but he still he still used three years of eligibility, and you know he, this was going to be the year that he maybe would have shown out, and you know it's going to be discounted because he can't play against other teams in other conferences. Well, I think this is great because this kid not only has this year, you know, maybe if he does well this year, he goes to the draft and maybe he gets pretty good draft stock. But if he doesn't, then he still has one more year where he can go out and play potentially like a, like a regular uh, season of football against other conferences. Um, so I think it's great. And, you know, you're giving these kids an extra shot, um, especially in a year where a lot of people are going to discount what goes on, you know, 
you know, if you're a Big Ten fan, maybe you're sitting here thinking, oh, well, this this championship's not going to count, uh, you know, whatever it is. I mean, it's not like the Big Ten was going to make it to the national championship anyway. Let's face that. But, I mean, regardless, it was going to be discounted. So I think it's a good chance for these kids that, that maybe haven't had a lot of uh, exposure in the past to show what they truly have. Right. And, I mean, so also for people um... – like who might be asking it's only like extra eligibility for like next year. So right. this doesn't affect like incoming true freshmen and true freshmen this year, stuff like that. This really only affects like senior players, maybe juniors who already had a red shirt year, something like that. Um, but I mean, I agree with you, man. I'd, I'd hate to give the incident of any credit as, <laughs> as, as you did, but I, I feel like they almost had, to, they almost had their hand forced. I mean, we've talked, episode after episode about how the NCAA seemed to have really messed this up. I mean, we, I think you've called for it. I've called for it. Um, guests on the podcast like Aaron called for it. The NCAA's job is to regulate almost at like a governing body over college football. And they've really not done that for them. I mean, almost at all. I mean, they've left everything up to the conferences and they've tried to stay out of it they tried to save like their their, i guess their image here but i'm glad they finally took a stand and i think this is the first time i can also say i think this will finally put the players first and for it to be 2020 and something like this happened for me to say that i feel like is still kind of a disgrace for the NCAA. But I, and uh, I saw some criticism, uh, just like scrolling through Twitter, going like reading some comments um, on this article and everything that announced it. But everyone's asking, why does everyone get it? What about the schools that only play in the spring or like don't play at all? And this stuff is like, well, you have to keep that competitive advantage as low as possible because if Ohio State didn't have scholarship limits next year and everyone came back, they'd be at such a big advantage compared to SEC, ACC, and Big 12 schools because those schools would have lost their players because they already played. Right. So I think they had to do it for all players. But, Brandon, I, I want to ask you, do you think this is actually going to make that much of a difference for teams? I mean, are, do you think we we could see anybody notable come back and use this? Um, that, that's, that's so hard to say. Um because I I don't know. Yeah, I think that if we do see somebody come back, I think it would be interesting to see like Justin Fields. I don't think that he will. I think he goes on to the NFL and makes his money. But with his push, you know, to play football this fall, I don't know. I guess it's still up in the air. Well, I think maybe if Justin Fields can't play this spring, but also he's a junior, right? Yeah, but he's a junior, so it really doesn't affect him that much. So, right? Yeah, one person I thought of was Kyle Trask at Florida, right? Yeah, who is a redshirt senior, only had what eleven games starting last year. We'll get a full season this year if he feels like he can come back in Dan Mullen's system and get one more year in with a really talented team. I think Kyle Trask is an interesting option. I think of someone depending on how it works maybe jamie newman yeah in, at georgia if he loses out to um jt daniels he could transfer sit out a year and then he gets an extra year of eligibility right wherever no, I, he wants would, to go that would be a very interesting situation as well 
Yeah, I, I like both of those. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, isn't Mac Jones a senior this year or is he a junior? Uh, I don't know if he's a junior or a senior, but I think he still has one more year of eligibility because he redshirted. Okay. Yeah, I'm about to say because he would be an interesting one too, especially with Bryce Young coming up. We could see Mac Jones potentially transfer somewhere. And then the last one I really looked at, I, I had a lot of SEC examples, but um, uh, what uh, KJ Costello or De'Aaron yeah. King um, at each one of those. I mean, could you imagine KJ Costello in Mike Leach's system and for two years? Uh, that would that would be insane. And De'Aaron King could offer a little bit of stability, I feel like, for Miami at quarterback. I mean, I would take two years of De'Aaron King after what we saw. Of my, I mean, when your quarterbacks combine, uh, when you have a history of quarterbacks like Tate Martell, Jaron Williams, and they put up seven points against Louisiana Tech, I think I think you're taking half of De'Aaron King. <laughs> I think so. It's it's brutal, man. But I mean, so the only I I believe what I was reading the like last thing they're looking at is just how like I think the last thing this way has to address is what about incoming freshmen? If we have spring football, what about those kids who graduate early? Are they going to be eligible to play immediately and then also benefit from the extra year of eligibility? Because um, I don't know if you saw Jack Sawyer, the five star defensive end that's committed to Ohio State, said he's going to skip fall football this year and try to enroll and play this upcoming season for Ohio state. So is the NCAA going to allow that? Does he count as an all player being able to keep an extra year of eligibility? Cause if that's the case, that puts programs playing in the spring at a way greater advantage, right? I mean, absolutely. Uh, I didn't even know that was a, I, I know I, that I'd heard you say something about that being a thing they could do, but I just, I don't know if I didn't trust you or what, that's crazy. I, I just, I just don't think you should be able to have that happen. I mean, because then what you could have is a bunch of Big Ten, Pac twelve programs just tell their recruiting class to go ahead, get here if they can. They get a year of experience, and so then in the fall they'll be playing as quote unquote true freshmen with a year of college ball experience, right? And. I think that's going to throw a lot of stuff off. And so I'm interested to see what they announce there. But for me, I think it's just a relief after, I mean, how many months, Brandon, of, of just speculation and bad de- bad decisions from the NCAA, Big Ten. Pac- I mean, there's just been so much controversy and just arguments and, like, sadness. I'm finally just happy to see the NCAA make a good decision and everyone just seems to be happy with it for once. No, I know. <laughs> Oh, man. But, guys, we're going to go ahead and move on here to the second segment of the day. And our good friend Nick Saban <laughs> has made the great headlines friend. again. Yeah, great friend. Um, Nick Saban made an appearance on ESPN's morning show, Get Up, to talk about all the recent college football news announcements, decisions. Well, he was asked about the Big Ten and Pac-12 postponing their season till spring, and Saban offered a bit of criticism by saying, quote, if you're a junior or a senior and you already have an NFL grade, are you actually going to play in the spring, or is it just going to become a JV season with a lot of upperclassmen opting out and not playing their senior year? Well, then Saban went on to suggest that these players are going to miss that opportunity to play their senior year because of this decision, but he wasn't going to judge the Big Ten or Pac-12 for it, but says that we should try to play this fall and keep student-athletes safe as we can 
for this upcoming season. So, Brandon, your take on these comments, and do you think a spring season will just become a glorified JV season? Yeah, so Nick Saban's just basically saying what we've been saying on this podcast for, what, three months now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been a minute. Well, it's good to know that he agrees with us. Uh, he's probably a big fan. Nick, if you're listening right now, feel free. We Anytime that you want to interview, hit us up. We got you. Uh, I think that would do pretty good for numbers. But, yeah, I mean, I agree with him 100%. You know, I, I think the spring season is going to be a joke if there is one. I don't personally don't believe that there could be one. I think there's a lot of difficulties that are going to have to be overcome that I don't think can be overcome. Uh, but that's beside the point. If, if there is a spring season, it's going to be a joke. I mean, it's going to be the players that, are, that, that have an NFL draft grade, like Nick Saban said, they're going to skip the season. Or if they don't skip, they're going to play very sparingly. Uh, man, I don't know. It, it, it's going to be tough. I don't. I, I I guess I can just say that I echo what what he's saying almost one hundred percent. Ah, man, I, you know, I like you said, we've been saying this for a long time on this podcast because uh, already, I mean, it's not even spring yet, and Micah Parsons has opted out. Rondell Moore has opted out. Rashad Bateman's opted out. All those players are top 10 Big Ten players. And who, what team might not be affected by it? I mean, if Purdue's being affected by it, is there anyone safe? No. <laughs> I guess I mean, not. Josh Jackson, a quarterback at Maryland, said he's sitting out to prepare for the NFL draft. I was like, are you even potentially going to get drafted? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think so. I didn't know but, it was yeah. an option for him to prepare for the NFL draft. <laughs> No. Um, you know that it. it <laughs> I don't. Oh, it'd be like if Miles Brennan was like, you know what? I'm just gonna opt out, prepare for the draft. Just like what? See, uh, you got really. You're you're being kind of mean right now. Honestly, I just didn't. I don't think that's necessary. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't understand. I mean, he wasn't. I mean, he did play pretty well in the first three games when everyone thought Maryland was like scoring 60 a game but i don't know man i i, I think it's gonna there's gonna be i think there's a we've i've already said on the podcast you kind of pushed back on it a little bit but i think there's a bigger asterisk on the spring season than the fall season yeah i think you're right i mean so brandon i mean you look at a team maybe like michigan who hasn't had any opt-outs because they probably don't have any potential first round picks right now ohio state could have half their team sit out or, or opt out, and what, if Michigan goes on wins the Big Ten, are you are is, is everyone taking that seriously, or is there an asterisk that says, "Hey, Ohio State had Justin Fields, Chris Olave, um, whoever else shot like Sean Wade, all these players set out, and then Michigan beat them." Like I don't, I don't give any credit to Jim Harbaugh or Michigan for beating an Ohio State, a skeleton JV Ohio State team. Skeleton JV is my new favorite phrase, by the way. I like it. I like it. And what about Oregon, man? You don't you think Kayvon Thibodeau, Javon Holland, uh, Mikhail Walker, all of them are going to play? No. CJ Verdell, Panay Suel, not even a small chance. And okay, Brandon, here's here's the thing. I I need I want to see if like you can add on to this. If the players already released this big statement, hashtag We Are United, we we want these things before we play the Pac-12 has yet to address any of them and you think they're going to play in the spring no no way 
it's not even okay. So yes, I think they've they could address the COVID stuff, but there's no way they can work out a financial plan that both sides are going to agree on to have a season by. It has to start in January, right? I mean, yeah, it can't. I mean, if it starts any later, we're going to run into June. Well, it's going to end up being shortened, and it's just it's going to be a it's going to be a big mess. Oh man, and. Listen, I, I don't wish this on anyone, knock on wood, whatever your superstition is, but if someone like Panay Well got hurt or Javon Holland or Keaton Slovis or someone like that got hurt in the spring, I, I'm telling you, man, the Pac-12 would be on the hook for some serious, serious criticism because if you tear your ACL in March, there's no way you're going to be 100% ready to go by August to play the next fall season. Right, and so you get you bet on a season that had an asterisk that you wouldn't be able to win a national championship for to screw yourself for the twenty twenty one season. I uh, I think it's just so dumb, and like you said, I mean, we've talked about it with Kublik, with Aaron, between ourselves. I mean, how do you have a spring season realistically? Yeah, I mean, you can't. It, it's it, there's no way, man. I mean, like you said, like you live in Baton Rouge. Would right. you even want to try to go to the football game if there was a basketball game, a football game, a baseball game, and track and field going on at the same time? Ah, oh, dude, uh, if you're asking me, I'm going to say yes. But do I think that? Well, do I think a lot of people will? Probably also yes. At, at this school, I, I get what you're saying. I think there's a lot of schools where that just wouldn't be a thing that that could even possibly happen i mean lsu's campus isn't that big <laughs> it's, no it's I mean, really it, not it, it's big but once you once you get a hundred and two thousand people uh, well i think they i think they're lowering the number of attendees at football games to forty thousand. Yeah, yeah, i think Wait, i think yeah, still, i think it's like 20 30 percent but you still get forty thousand people at the stadium and i mean that's crazy like how how do you drive on that campus with that and then with basketball which is going to house another five thousand at least um I, I get what you're saying. It's it's going to be a nightmare. And if it gets moved to spring, are we sure the spring sports are going to limit capacity? They probably will, yeah. They probably will, but, I mean, if they didn't, it would be even more of a disaster. I mean, listen, when I went to the LSU-Auburn game in 2018, I believe, or 19, one of the two. I forget I forget which one it was. Um, man, it took us like three hours to get out of Baton Rouge that night. Like yeah, if if you had everything ending around the same time, I mean, you might as well just sleep in your car. I'm just gonna sleep in the lot. You know, let, let me sleep in Death Valley that night. I mean, it would be a disaster. And what about these new two sports stars that we're seeing? I mean, right. It's it's especially in the SEC at least. I mean, it's not, it's so. I mean, Ole Miss has a starting quarterback and running back who both start on the baseball team. Yeah, I know. It's it's insane. And Auburn has multiple people who started track and stuff like that. I mean, it's just – and uh, there's a five-star recruit um, that's looking at Auburn, LSU, and Bama, I believe, are his final three. And he's going to these schools to play football and basketball. Right. So uh, I just think it's going to be – it's it's going to be just too much in the spring, man. And I don't know if you saw this. I think it was the Big 12 commissioner – said this other day where if something happens and the spring football can't go off or football can't happen this fall, 
that there will be no sports across any university for the foreseeable future because the money would be so messed up. And it would be. I mean, Zach and I have echoed that sentiment several times on this podcast. I mean, football carries almost every other sport. I mean, basketball, a lot of schools can can hold its own and actually turns a profit. But I mean, if you're looking at any other pro, any other program at almost any other university in this country, they're being carried by football and basketball. Right. And then, I mean, you have a few schools. I mean, Vandy probably makes more money in baseball than anything. Um, LSU probably makes a lot of money in baseball, Mississippi State, um, schools like that. But, I mean, like you said, I mean, I don't think even – I mean, if you look at the College World Series teams last year or the year before because they got canceled, but um, I personally think that probably only like, what, two or three of them even make a profit off of baseball, and those are teams that are making the College World Series. Right. That's just outrageous. But, guys – we're going to move on here to our third segment of the day. And this is, you know, like we said last time, the segment could be a curse, but we got through the Big 12 without a hit. So we felt like it was safe to move on here. We have one more conference schedule to cover. And this is probably the one most of our listeners were actually looking forward to. And we finally, finally get to break down the 2020 SEC schedule. We're not going to make our official predictions yet. Those are coming super, super soon. We have what branded a month till the season yeah hey we're month. so yeah almost a month yeah well actually a, actually the oh, first yeah. football game is september 3rd or september 6th or something it, i think it's let's like next go. weekend i know we yeah, have south alabama and it. southern miss <laughs> dude listen we're doing pick six south the sun sun sunbelt edition <laughs> and i think the acc starts the 12th so even less than a month for ACC football. I'm about I'm about to cry. I'm honest. I'll be honest with you. Man, this <laughs> podcast was on its last leg there. I thought they were going to cancel football and we were just going to have to cover like rugby or something, but we made it. Um, you know, but yeah, the official predictions are coming very very soon, guys. So stay tuned for that, but we're going to debate here who has the easiest path to the SEC championship, which teams called the most unlucky breaks. If you're an SEC fan, you know which two teams we're probably going to cover there. But, Brandon, let's start with which teams have the easiest schedule when the schedule was dropped. So who are you giving the easiest schedule to? It is far and beyond Alabama and LSU have the easiest schedules in the SEC. Um, wow. Maybe, wow. Flor- maybe Florida and Georgia because they play an SEC East schedule and then they have to play Arkansas. And I- who plays Arkansas and Vanderbilt? I know who it is and I have my notes and I'm trying to find it, but I can't. Um, um oh florida plays arkansas and vandy that's right so maybe florida actually now that now that i think about it um i don't know i, I mean alabama certainly has an easy schedule who they play uh they're playing missouri and i i want to say who, who's their who's their matchup um it was um i i don't remember i didn't pick bama man i i don't think wow. bama had the easiest schedule i mean uh, look man like they already drew Georgia. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, Alabama drew uh, Kentucky and uh, Missouri. Yeah, I mean, Kentucky's kind of tough. Look, all Kentucky's I know... Kentucky's decent. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I, I understand that. Um, I don't know. It's just... It, they could have drawn, like, Florida, and they didn't, or they could To me, it seems like the SEC was trying to give easier schedules to teams That's that... That's a fact already had like a great chance to, to win their division or the conference in general. 
Like, not, hey, I don't blame them though. You know, no, I can't blame them either because they're going to want to get a you know a good team in into the playoff if they can only have one. You know, it's starting to look like they might be able to get two in here. Uh, it's going to be tough though playing when they all play each other. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think Alabama and LSU have super easy schedules. I, I mean, LSU drew Vanderbilt and Missouri, like. Is there, is there an easier two draws in the SEC East? No. I mean, it's not. I mean, LSU is my honorable mention. Um, I mean, I don't think – I don't like I said, I don't think LSU is going to be what they were last year, but I think they'll still be competitive. But, Brandon, their first three games of the season are Mississippi State with the first with the first year head coach there, Mike Leach, Vandy, and Missouri. Yeah, that might right. be the opening that that might be the easiest opening three games of any team in the SEC. And listen, I I know I was real tough on LSU a few months ago, but with this opening schedule, LSU could shock a lot of teams because I think this gives Miles Brennan and a lot of those younger players that are going to have to step into big roles. So they get they get three super super easy games to grow and build that chemistry. So LSU before it gets into the meat of its schedule, can really be on a roll here. Right. No, and, and so and, I, you I, know, you, I think it's you amazing. Me- you mentioned that, and then LSU, their, their cross-division uh, game that they already had drawn for the year is South Carolina at home. So, like, it's not, it's not like things get a lot harder for LSU. I mean, obviously, they play Alabama-Auburn. They, they play the Florida game they play every year. But, I mean, but that's three games. The rest, of their, the rest of their schedule is honestly, I mean – I'm not it's saying. Winnable. Like, I mean, I, the absolute worst I see LSU doing is losing those three games. Yeah, like, I actually agree. I, I I really really agree. Maybe A and M if they can put it together, but I don't have a lot of confidence in A and M right now. Well, this was A and M's year, and now they're just going to get beat down. But I'll get to that in a few. <laughs> but I mean, for me, Brandon, I mean, LSU also gets a perfectly placed bye week right in between Auburn and Alabama. Right. So they get a week to recover from Auburn because that's always a tough physical game. And then they get a whole extra week to game plan for Alabama. I mean, that can't be any better. And then two of their last three games are against Arkansas and Ole Miss. Uh, listen, finish, give them, finish strong. Give, give them else. to me. I'm about to say, <laughs> give them to me. And listen, this schedule, the reason I put it here is because this schedule might make forgetting Joe Burrow just a little bit easier for Tiger fans. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this schedule's a joke, and if they and if they beat Auburn, that's two losses for LSU. And if they upset Alabama or Florida, you could have LSU going to the SEC title for the second year in a row. Right. That's that's steep, man. But listen, I had to give the easiest schedule to the Florida Gators. Um, and the the main reason here, Brandon, is because they avoided Alabama, like you said. Yeah. Um especially when considering they already play, like you said, LSU is their cross-conference, and they have Georgia a year in a year out. Um, but I broke down the schedule real closely. So, Brandon, they, the weeks one and two, they get Ole Miss and South Carolina to open up the season. Those are those should be winnable games. One's a first-year head coach at that school. The other one's coming off a dismal season. Their coach is probably on the hottest seat in the entire conference. Um but week three and four is going to be tough. This is where I think we're going to find out if Florida is a real contender or not. They have A&M and LSU back-to-back, but I don't think A&M is as elite as people would would think. 
And Florida gets LSU at home, which is a big win because playing in the swamp is always much, much better than having to go play in Death Valley. And Florida played LSU really close for, what, three and a half quarters last year. And I think the swamp could be a huge factor for Florida and LSU this year. And then week five and seven, they get Missouri in a bye week before Georgia. I can't think of a better two weeks before having to play your biggest game of the year. And then, Brandon, their closing stretch, they get Arkansas, Vandy, Kentucky, and then Tennessee. I mean, that's That's, Florida. Listen, listen, (laughs) Tennessee may be a small test, but after three weeks of playing Arkansas, Vandy, and Kentucky, Florida should have the momentum to avoid any letdown, and Florida might have the easiest closing stretch, which could boost them into the SEC championship if they make it there. And I'm really high on Florida this year, and this schedule lines up perfectly for the Gators to steal the SEC East this year from Georgia. It absolutely does. But, Brandon, hardest schedule. I think I know the few teams we're going to have to cover here, so go ahead and kick this one off. There's a couple, man. Um <laughs> Uh, the first one, I'm going to go ahead and give it to Missouri. Uh, I feel like Missouri just – I don't know who they who they made mad or or <laughs> if there was like some bad blood here. I know they're already like on probation. And so, you know, because they snitched on themselves. That's that's just something they did. Uh, people don't talk about it enough, by the way. The, mo- they, the most Missouri thing of all time. Yeah, I feel like we should have brought that up sooner. But, yeah. <laughs> so, now they get to kick off the season against Alabama. And – Typically, I would be like, well, at least it's a home game for Missouri, but I just don't know what kind of home field advantage Missouri has. Uh, so now they just get to they, they get to get beaten up by Alabama on their home field. So that's that's pretty discouraging. After that, they have to go to Neyland Stadium, just a huge, almost empty stadium um, in Tennessee and get beat by Tennessee because Tennessee, like Zach said, they finished the season off really strong last year. I see them doing better than they have in recent years uh and then the third game is is in baton rouge so i mean that's just you know you keep getting beaten down beaten down beaten down they get a little bit of a break they play they play um vanderbilt for their homecoming game you know i guess if you had to choose a homecoming game that's the one uh and then right after that they have to go to gainesville so it's just this first five game stretch they might have one win and after that maybe they beat arkansas in, in the final stretch of the season but other than that, I mean, I think I think this Missouri team realistically has like a chance to get two wins and that's it. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, like if if they're lucky, right? That's that's like if homecoming goes well. <laughs> and if and if Arkansas uh is too beaten down at that point to even put up a fight. Uh, you see, I had Missouri as an honorable mention. You broke it down. I mean, the fact that they drew LSU at Alabama, come on, man. That's just um, I have Arkansas as the hardest. Um, yeah. And like you said, I don't know what he- new head coach Sam Pittman did to piss off Greg Sankey in the SEC. But listen, Sam, send some chocolates and a, and a sincere apology because this needs to stop. This is absolutely disrespectful. Um, and if you want a funny video to watch, guys, go check out SEC Shorts where – they did a skit about the schedule release and the, the Arkansas Missouri one man had me rolling, but this team has a new quarterback, a new staff, an entire new staff, a new head coach and a COVID riddled all season and probably the hardest schedule in college football. Um, you know, their bye week, Brandon, look, they play Bama, Florida, Georgia, 
Arkansas, and LSU, and they get the bye week before Texas A&M. I mean, it's tough. It's an awful look. And they're three of their last four games, Brandon, are against Florida, LSU, and Alabama. Are you yeah, kidding me? It's it's not good. Not well. It's good for everyone else, but not them. No, and then two of their first four games were against Georgia and Auburn. Right. And this schedule is tough in the front end. It's backloaded as well with all that talent. I mean, this could hurt younger player development because there's no breathers. There's nowhere to catch their breath. And listen, if Sam Pittman doesn't try to steal one or two of the manageable games they have on their schedule, this this team could not win a game next year. Yeah. And, oh, man, that's crazy. But, like, I mean, Chad Morris was fired before his second year was over. If Sam Pittman starts out 0-10, that seat is going to be lit on fire immediately. Go ahead and go ahead and count it off, man. They, they, there's no chance they can win. Not even a single like, game. Did you see the Arkansas? It was either Arkansas or Missouri. One of the two social media accounts said like he like ad, they added the SEC on Instagram or Twitter and was like, "Hey, you forgot to add the 85 Bears to our oh. schedule." And I was like, "Oh man, you can like feel the hurt. You know, like sitting in his office, like Sam Pittman definitely had to get some uh, sheetrock replaced because I would have been punching walls." If I would have been like, I would have got that text like, hey, yeah, this is this is y'all's draw. I would have been like, you know what? I'm good. I'm out. Don't even worry about it. Florida and Georgia, really? And then Missouri? Come on, man. Well, I also think, I mean, Eli Drinkowicz, the head coach for Missouri, he was the coach that criticized like other SEC coaches for like cheating. Really? If you remember that. Like, yeah, he was in an interview and said that like, they recruit honestly and um, some other schools are not on the up and up about their recruiting and stuff and just kind of like threw subtle shots at other SEC people. And now all these SEC teams like Bama and LSU are about to just about to take that frustration out on them on the field. And it's going to be ugly. They're going to be like, hey, you want to see some recruiting? Watch Jalen Waddle go for 400 yards on you. Okay, fair. Uh, man, I, I feel so bad for Missouri and Arkansas. I mean, A&M also has a tough schedule, but I feel like they just always have a tough schedule because they're in the West. Yeah. I mean, they always do, and it's just it's not made any easier by by them having to play two extra SEC games. Yeah, Yeah, and they get Florida, even though they get Florida at home, but y'all already know how I feel about Kyle Field, man. It's not a home field advantage, and now they don't even get to be full with fans. That's going to be... A&M's not going to have any home field advantage this year, but... Guys, we're going to move on. Last segment of the day here, and y'all already know what's coming. It's the exclusive recruiting update. Check out our most recent episodes uh, to catch up on updates from around the country, and we're going to head to the Big 12 to look at the Oklahoma Sooners 2021 class. I feel like Lincoln Riley is just is doing what he always does, man. He has an elite class. It's, it's top 15, number one in the Big 12, and – Oklahoma is trying to find a way to win a playoff game finally. I mean, it's just year after year. They were all so close to beating Georgia. They, then they get absolutely disrespected by LSU last year. Joe Burrow decided to put Madden on rookie mode and go crazy with the passing game. Um, this class is elite, though, man. I think I believe every recruit but one is in like the top 600. So that's pretty outstanding i would say for oklahoma they have a top 10 player in the country so and oklahoma has a lot of spots left guys i expect this class to finish within the top 10 but brandon 
your take on this class and is there anything you could say about Lincoln Raleigh that we haven't said? No, absolutely not. And Zach, honestly, they should be ranked higher than they are right now. Um, Agree. I, I want to give a big shout out to Isaiah Coe because this kid's about to cause some destruction <laughs> in this next season. But he's a community college kid. And so, you know, he, even though he's the 17th ranked recruit in the country um, in community college, he's a three star, you know. So I don't know. That's that's a that's a rant that I have every single time. But man, obviously this class is highlighted by Caleb Williams. Uh, I didn't want to talk about it, you know, before the show even started. I asked Zach if we had to do it. Apparently we did. Uh, he chose to go to Oklahoma instead of any other school. So now he has to battle it out with uh, Spencer Radler. Whatever, you know, uh, I'll I'll throw that to the wind. One of them's going to transfer. Who cares? Um, but I mean. <laughs> To be ranked number 14 uh, at this point in the recruiting cycle is pretty impressive. You know, they have 14 hard commits at this point. Um, Oklahoma's going to be a team that maxes that out. You know, they're going to hit that 25 probably. If not, I mean, they'll hit 23, 24, but they'll probably hit that 25. Um, Lincoln Riley's just shown us year after year what he can do recruiting-wise. I think it's pretty impressive to see that they're ranked number one in the Big 12 this year because Texas usually takes that spot. not this year. It's not looking like it anyway. You know, I think Oklahoma has better quality recruiting class than uh, Texas overall. Um, and maybe they can hold on to this uh, position, maybe even climb a little bit. One thing that, that kind of took me back a little bit, and, and Zach mentioned it a little bit, uh, they have six three-star recruits and seven four-stars, um, which is an odd ratio, right? I feel I feel like yeah. that ratio should be different. Um but, you know, uh, all all the better for them. I mean, seven four-star recruits is incredible. Uh, they have the one five-star, and it looks like they're just getting started. I mean, it's Oklahoma. They're probably going to land maybe another five-star, a couple more four-stars, and then, you know, they'll they'll round up with a lot of three-stars. But, uh, man, th- this recruiting class is is almost too good, in my opinion. I agree. I don't know how it's not top ten, honestly. Um you know, Lincoln Riley is just doing Lincoln Riley things, man. I mean, he has the elite quarterback check. He's got that with Williams. He's got two elite wide receivers in this class. So that's a check for him there. And then underrated D lineman. Are they Oklahoma always has some underrated D lineman. He's got that here. So that's another check. And the only thing I could see missing, Brandon, I would really like to see an elite linebacker added to this class, especially after the Sooners just lost Kenneth Murray who may have been the best defensive player in the Big 12 last year. Um, you know, And this defense has shown some improvements, but it's still multiple pieces away from contending with elite teams, as we saw against LSU, as we saw against Alabama, as we saw against Georgia. That defense needs some help. Um, but like you said, top recruit in the class, Kayla Williams. I mean, number four player in the country. Brandon, you know, we've talked about um, Quentin Ewer's uh, pro comparison being Phillip Rivers. Uh Caleb Williams' pro comparison is Russell Wilson. Which is nuts. Uh, Can we stop with this? outrageous. (laughs) That's outrageous. That shouldn't be allowed. I mean, let's be honest. If he only lives up to like 50, 65% of what Russell Wilson is, Oklahoma is definitely going to be pleased with getting this kid. I mean, to be compared to Russell Wilson, I think that could make him probably the most hyped quarterback to head to Oklahoma, really. I mean, he's he's probably more hyped than Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts, all those quarterbacks were, even Spencer Rattler. I right. mean, 
He's got good size, makes him durable. For, for being six foot one, two ten, two fifteen, to run a four a sub four six forty yard dash is just I, I can't even like put into words like why. Why is that even possible? And you know, his one thing, Brandon, I think you agree, since you follow, you did follow this kid kind of closely, he needs to work on his accuracy. But if there's one thing Lincoln Riley Lincoln Riley has showed is that he can develop accuracy in quarterbacks. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Hertz at Bama was only about a 60% completion percentage. He jumped to 70 uh, last season. Kyler Murray, 59.5%. At Texas A&M, 69% his year at Oklahoma. And Baker Mayfield's always been accurate. That's just a fact. But um, uh, So I think Williams really couldn't have landed in a better spot it determining what sim- what system he works in best and his weaknesses, how they can improve under the coach. Because, I mean, as much as I think he would have got more playing time at LSU, I think Coach Orgeron is not – he's not known for developing quarterbacks. No. Neither I mean, is – He's a deep n- guy. Exactly. And, and I mean, say, Steve Emsinger is a really good offensive coordinator, but he doesn't have a pedigree of developing quarterbacks. I mean, he just was a quarterback, and not to brag, but – yeah. <laughs> are you taking okay? Are you taking Steve Emsinger or Lincoln Raleigh? Steve Emsinger. You lie. You lie to our listeners, man. Shout out, go Tigers. But, Everyone knows. But you know, I, I want to stop torturing Brandon. This is supposed to be a happy segment. Brandon's over there. He's he he's got an Oklahoma hat right now, burning on his table. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but a, a prospect I wanted to no, uh, note is he's not the, he's not the number two, but I believe he's number three in the class, and that's Cody Jackson. I think he's the ninety fifth national wide receiver, ninety uh, fifth player, fifteenth wide receiver out of Richmond, Texas, and I think he's going to be a top target for Williams at Oklahoma. He's the second highest rated wide receiver in Oklahoma's class, but I think he's the best personally based on film and what he brings to the table. But he's explosive, sure-handed wide receiver who I think needs to add a little bit more weight, which could hurt his ranking. I mean, he's six foot, but he's only about 170, 175. I think he has the frame to carry 185, 190, but we'll see on that. The thing that gets me is he has no verified testing numbers, Brandon. So we don't have a 40. We don't have a shuttle or any other test to point to his athleticism or talent. But just based on his film, it doesn't lie. I think he has the talent, speed, size, athleticism, everything to be a number one wide receiver for any team he plays on. And in two years in high school in Texas, he's racked up over 120 catches, over 2,400 yards, and 33 touchdowns. It shows his productivity. It shows his potential as an every-down receiver, and he has the ability to burn defenses over the top, make plays underneath, and he shows pretty good blocking on the outside for a smaller wide receiver. So I think Williams to Jackson is going to be a common occurrence for the next two to three years in Norman, and I think Lincoln Riley finally found his next dynamic duo out there in Norman, Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree with you. I think he's a very talented player, um, and he's going to be, I mean, just a weapon for, for this for this Oklahoma team and whoever the quarterback is. Oh, it's, it's crazy, man. I mean, so do you want to take your underrated prospect, or do you want yeah, me to I, go? I can take mine. I mean, I'm going to choose the community college guy like I always do. Uh, everyone, <laughs> I figured. I, everyone, I, I like I like this kid, but I knew you were going to pick him because you always go for these type of kids, so I was just going to let you take it. 
Oh, why wouldn't I? I mean, we, 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 we take these kids for granted. I mean, just because they went to community college doesn't mean they're not a good player. A lot of the time, they're a better player than, than a lot of the kids that are around them. And that this is going to be the case for this guy. Um, I like that. And I also like – it's Isaiah Coe, by the way. And I, I don't know if I mentioned that. I think I mentioned it earlier. But, yeah, you um, so I'm choosing Isaiah Coe here. Um, I like to see a defensive prospect come to Oklahoma just because, I mean, anyone who watched Oklahoma season – um, last year, maybe besides Kenneth Murray, I mean, what, what do they really bring to the table as far as defense? Uh, not a lot. And, and so you have to love to see that, uh, Oklahoma is finally recruiting, uh, on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, Zach mentioned that they still need a linebacker prospect. I agree. They have an outside linebacker, but that's it. I'd like to see a few, maybe inside linebackers, maybe, uh, a few more defensive ends that they, they have recruited pretty well at the defensive end position though, but he's a tackle. Um, coming out of uh, coming out of uh, Iowa Western, yeah. Shout out last chance you. We we saw them on the field. Um, I, I think I just use this segment to talk about last chance you is is really what it comes down to. Zach, <laughs> uh, anytime well, I can bring that show up, but we'll just have a last chance you podcast. Yeah, we'll start. <laughs> we'll start that. I feel like that would do pretty well. But this kid is just explosive off the line. Um, obviously, I mean, I think the only tape I found from him was when he was in high school, which out of high school, the only offer he had was to go to Miami of Ohio. So I don't, I don't really understand that just by looking at his tape. I mean, every single play, you just see him breaking through this line. This kid's 305 pounds, but he is, he's just got this certain quickness to him off the line. Um, that's super, super impressive to me, at least, um, I don't know, man. He he, he has uh, kind of what it takes to be super explosive at this defensive tackle position. That's super hard to do. I, I mean, we saw Derek Brown do it at Auburn last year, and I'm by no means comparing this kid to Derek Brown, but his tape, man, it, it almost—I don't want to say he, he's like the same because he's not in any respect. But this kid's explosive, and he can get through that offensive line. He's really making plays like a defensive end would make at the tackle position. So. That's why I like this kid so much, and I mean, he's a hard hitter. He's quick, uh, and that, what else would you want at the defensive tackle position? No, I agree. I mean, he can also do something kind of like Marlon Davidson did where he's big enough to play D-tackle, but his athleticism allows him to move outside in pass rushing situations and stuff like that. So I think he could fit as a three technique, as a nose, or on the outside. So I, I, I like this kid a lot. I think he shows really good hand movement for a defensive tackle. Um, right. he's really good at getting off of blocks. And so I don't, I don't blame you. Um, I'll let you have him. So I went looking, my underrated prospect goes out of Portland, Oregon. I don't know how they went all the way out here and got this kid. It's Nathan Rawlings. Um, and we're just going to go with that. And he's the 312th national prospect, number 20 strong side defensive end. Listen, Brandon, this kid's played one year of high school football. Okay. That's crazy. He 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 was a he's a well known basketball recruit and was committed to a Pac twelve school. They didn't name it for some reason in the article I was reading, so maybe he was just like interested in him. But he suited up and played football for the first time ever last year, and he's already a top three fifty recruit. Well, that's huh. That's and nuts. in year in year one, Brandon at a defensive tackle or defensive end position, he racked up seventy four tackles. 28 tackles for loss, five sacks, and one fumble recovery. Oh, my God. This kid is 6'7". 
Yeah, that's what I was about to say, man. <laughs> like speaking about his size, an outrageous six seven, two forty to two hundred and fifty pounds. Uh, that's it. Doesn't listen. Yeah, and all these stats and everything. His size. He he won these battles. He didn't have a true rushing technique, lacked experience to recognize plays and tendencies, and just used his size and athleticism to, you know get through the line, get make tackles, make plays happen. And he's a two-sport star, like I said. It just further exemplifies how athletic this kid is for his size. I think he, the thing he needs to improve on, if he can get this down, kind of like the, some of the elite pass rushers we've seen in college football, like such as Derrick Brown, such as Chase Young, if he can improve his hand technique, getting off of blocks better without just relying solely on his athleticism, this kid is going to be a serious, serious problem in the Big 12. And go ahead. Like you were saying, I mean, it's crazy that he ended up at Oklahoma because it looks like he had an offer from like every every Pac-12 team. That's nice. Yeah, he, he, uh, he was one of the most highly rec- uh, recruited recruits in basketball out up, up there in the Pacific Northwest. But, I mean, for – He's six seven two fifty man, so he's walking around like a professional basketball player and just said, "Hey, you know what? I'm just going to go play D line." Right, like that's that's how I don't even. I mean, who's six seven? And who who would be his NBA comparison at six seven two fifty? Uh, LeBron James. Obviously, yeah, LeBron's six nine, but yeah, we'll give him that. So it's like LeBron James playing defensive end for you. That's fun. I mean, I, I take that. I mean, and listen, the good thing about it is he's going to Oklahoma. So he's going to be able to, I think he'll be, when he gets on campus, be immediately able. I think they're going to put him into pass rushing situations immediately. So they want four pass rushers, put him on the end, and just let him use his athletic ability and go out there and get the quarterback. He's going to mostly benefit from coaching at the college level. I mean, that elite coaching at Oklahoma helps him with his footwork, helps him with his hand movement, helps him with his play discipline, helps him with where to look, how far to go upfield, stuff like that. It's things that a lot of these other top-rated recruits already have because they've been playing football since they were five years old. Right. So this kid has so much raw potential, and it, it he blew me away on his film. He, everything I've ever read about this kid blew me away. I think Rollins, right now, if he enrolled in Oklahoma, could be the number one or number two defensive lineman at that school right now. Yeah, And sure. I think if he develops properly, he could be a mid-round pick. And I think he's a perfect replacement. I mean, Ronnie Perkins is still there, but he could be suspended for the entire year, could be cut. You know how Ronnie Perkins is. Rollins could be a perfect Ronnie Perkins replacement and really offer another if you pair this kid up with the year underrated prospect, that's a that's two elite defensive linemen that Oklahoma could have going into next year. Yeah, that's true. So I think Oklahoma's doing big things, man. I'm impressed with Lincoln Riley. Like I said, I would like to see a linebacker. I think they have two underrated corners. I would still like to see a, a safety or something like that for them, but Overall, I think I don't think you can knock anything about this class, man. And I think Lincoln Raleigh is showing that even though he was young when he came in, man, he is getting better and better each and every year with recruiting and developing these players. Right, I agree. I mean, it's crazy. But guys, that is a wrap on this episode, man. Another hour of the Blue Bloods content for you guys. Um, listen, social media, Twitter, at the underscore underscore Blue Bloods instagram at the underscore blue bloods 
Facebook at the Blue Bloods Pod, um, YouTube, the Blue Blood CFB Podcast. You can literally find us anywhere you listen to uh, podcasts. You can find us on TuneIn now. Got accepted there. Um, I forgot we got accepted uh, multiple places. We we were just put. Uh, we've been applying to be on more places. So you can literally find us almost anywhere now. I think we even applied to Pandora for you guys. So if you just listen to your favorite music and the Blue Bloods come up, just go ahead. Just don't skip us. We'll be does, all right. Does anyone listen to Pandora anymore? I dude, I don't know. I I was I was just looking. I was like, you know, can we can give our podcast on Pandora? And apparently they were. And it was just like a little form. And I was like, bet I'm I'm a I'm gonna put us on Pandora. All right, man. Yeah. I appreciate hey, it. Hey, Pandora. <laughs> like, <laughs> I haven't listened to Pandora since I was probably in seventh grade. Yeah, like once Spotify released, I was like, ah, oh, Pan- oh, Pandora sucks. And I switched exactly. to Pandora. You- Pandora does not suck. If you're listening to this Pandora, that's my bad. We want to be accepted <laughs> very badly. We need a sponsor. <laughs> yeah, we, but- we love that. Guys, announcements coming, a new Audible episode's on the way. We'll give you all more updates on that. So make sure to follow us on social media to get the most on that. Um, but yeah, rate, like, subscribe, podcast, wherever you listen. We appreciate all that. You guys keep tuning in. We're going to keep dropping more Cosmo content. The season is so close, guys. But for right now, we out.